Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Yeah, gives me a lot to wonder about being here this way now, at this moment. What would there be for me to say? We have had a wonderful AA introduction. We've had our introduction to God through prayer. The only thing left for me to do, I guess, is to talk about drinking, and I don't know whether that's interesting or not to some of you. But I have to look at this group. Here you are celebrating what is called the 10th anniversary. Somebody wants to compliment you. wonder why. We ought to be complimented because there is such a program as Alcoholics Anonymous left for us to get into. Of course, I look at the crowd. Ten years have made an awful lot of progress. I remember a little while ago, you good. You was tickled to death. You had a can of baked beans on there under the bridge, and now look at you. God, you want clean clothes to wear when you go out, and you ask for clean dishes to eat off? It's wonderful the progress you're making, I guess. I don't know, huh? Alcoholics Anonymous was wonderful to me. Some of you have been in a long time, some of you haven't been in long, but it doesn't matter. All we're concerned about, as far as drink is concerned, is 24 hours. Well, anybody who has not had a drink today, they're just the same as anyone who's been without it 30, 40, 50 years. It's not the alcohol that we study. We study how to live in this program, and it's kind of hard. You can't just pick this up and say, here I am. Now, this is a lifetime job. But Alcoholics Anonymous should be explained to some people, I guess. was in the beginning always. Alcoholics is what we are. We have decided ourselves, nobody else decided for us, that we are alcoholics. We are afflicted with a disease. And that means that we cannot ever drink alcohol again. But anonymous means that we have not the right to go from this room out into the world and say, I I, I didn't know Mrs. Jones and Mr. Jones were such alcoholics until I met them up at that uh, AA meeting, you know. God, there, he was a school teacher. No, he wasn't. He's a Methodist minister. And now he's a drunk. Oh, God. You know, uh, know, uh, the real true meaning of the word anonymous, as far as we're concerned, is... uh, Christ or God good was unknown to us until we admitted defeat. And in our case, it's alcohol. There are many other things that a person had ought to admit defeat which are causing them trouble. Slippery tongue, temper, narcotics, selfishness, self-centeredism. As you look at yourself, you'll find out you had ought to be grateful that you're an alcoholic if you get into this program and actually live it and make the use of the wonderful blessings that are here. But as I have to tell you, I am only a beginner, and I'm quite a bit like the little boy who lived up here. I think it was in Savannah. No, Lodi, that's where he lived. He lived with his grandmother, and he went to school the first day, and he came back, and he said... Uh, Grandma, he said, I guess I have to go back to school again tomorrow because I don't even know how to read or write. So that's me in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I've been without a drink for a good many years, but I know very little about Alcoholics Anonymous. There are some things I say here will give you something to think about if you want to think. But if you want to leave it go, all right. I have never read a word in Alcoholics Anonymous as yet. And I have not had a drink. That means it can be done if you want to do it through thought. And that is what I have decided that this program actually is. It's a program of mental discipline and thought control. I happen to know how it was given to us in the beginning. And I studied it thoroughly. I found out that Bill Wilson had an emotional spiritual experience. And that is a thing that comes to some people sometimes. But it don't come to everyone, and that is good. 
It's awful good that some of us have to work for what we get. And Dr. Bob never had an emotional, spiritual experience. He had to work for what he got. Already I can see two sides to this way of life. Bill with one and Doc with the other. That means no one in this entire program has all of it. And they never will have all of it. What Bill was doing was searching for the part that he missed. And that's what we are doing when we're out sponsoring other people. Be careful of knowing all there is about this program. Be careful. <laughs> but what they did was make it so simple that even I could understand it. They said they had this emotional spiritual experience. They admitted through Dr. Bob that this was a disease we cannot drink. They decided they could not do it very long, 24 hours at a time, and they could not do it without a belief in a power greater than themselves. And then give it away to other people. But is that why Alcoholics Anonymous is here for us? No, it is not. This is a program that's built entirely on love. This is a place where you find love. Not Hollywood romance, but real, true love. Bill Wilson had an emotional experience down in the city of New York, and he was told by some voice that you could keep dry 24 hours at a time by helping your fellow man. And Bill tried that. He carried a bottle with him, and when he would see one of his drinking buddies, he'd give him a drink because he knew they needed a drink. He was not successful. Lois, his wife, said after Bill tried this six months, she said, well, Bill, bring them into the house. Let's see what we can do with them. Never before had we had such love expressed by a human being in this world since the birth of Christ toward an alcoholic. We have been condemned by everybody. I often example this. We are soon going to enter Christmas. And that is true with a little story that every one of us will hear. You know, Mary and Joseph were going down on a little old mule or donkey or whatever. And they would remind us of an alcoholic struggling his way through life. And they went in many different places to try to find shelter. But we were turned down, and they were turned down. But he had to go back in a manger for birth. There is a reason for that. That was done to denote humility. The alcoholic must become humble. He must admit defeat. That man with the power that was around him could have been a great leader, a great politician, a great merchant. But he was a carpenter for a reason. In Alcoholics Anonymous, when you admit defeat, and you accept this new way of life, you must be a builder, a builder of character. Greatest Christmas story you ever heard is in your own little life. Learn to be a character builder. I met this program a good many years ago after having gone through a terrible drinking career. This drinking career of mine is nothing like yours. Yours is the story that got you to stop drinking, not my story. My story never faced you in the least. But it's the one that got me to stop my drinking. And these stories that you hear are just like we do in life, social work, legal profession, personnel work. It's a case history of the individual. But here we have the opportunity to do what the alcoholic is most prone to do. He loves to lie. The alcoholic is the best liar in this world. He lies so much and so often that he believes most of the things he says himself. Some people don't believe that because they don't want to look at themselves and make sure. The other day I called on a man, and he was uh, pretty well under the weather. His wife sitting there in the living room, and she was crying and weeping, pulling her handkerchief and so on. I said, well, you have a little alcoholic problem? Who, me? No. Uh-huh. 
No. He said, the only reason I drink is because my wife burns the toaster. I said, well, you're quite a liar, aren't you? No, no, I'm not. You know, they don't like to be told the truth. Because I looked out in the kitchen and they didn't even own a toaster. So that's how dishonest they actually are. <clears throat> but the alcoholic does. He gets the opportunity to stand up here and he tells some of the weirdest stories. Some fellow drank gasoline and buttermilk. Now, you know that's not true. Somebody else said he was in jail 18 times in one day. And you know that isn't true because he was drunk. He couldn't remember. So you got to watch what I say. So I might as well tell you some of the stuff I say is false, too. But I do remember. I told people I had a riding horse, and when I sobered up, I bought a saddle thing and had no horse at all. That's the way you carry on in this life. But we do want to study ourselves. This is a mind that you have, and you want to learn to study it. You study it. Not your teacher, not your mother, your preacher, your clergyman. You study your own mind and see how it functions. See what you can do with it. You have two parts all the time. Will I or won't I? Should I or shouldn't I? They call it maybe positive or negative. Maybe they call it male and female. But it's a mind that you have to study and watch it. So as I go on through with my mind and my life, you can see how I studied it out. I came from a family of very good church people. And in my mind, there's a big difference between church people and so-called Christians. My mother would have family worship. She would pray and bless the food and read the Bible. Then she'd stick her head out the window and condemn the neighbors for things my mother didn't think were just right. My dad had attend that church too. Right at home, go to church, pick up collection, teach a class, sing, so on. Yet he would cheat in his business in order to make an extra dollar. They never tasted alcohol in all our lives. But from them I am taking a very valuable lesson that I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous. They were dry but they were not sober. A person gets drunk by drinking of an alcoholic beverage, and that's the way you get drunk. But sobriety is the way one thinks, and out of his thought comes his reactions and his actions, whichever. My folks were dead against booze. My dad used to work for the dry cause. I used to play a little kid who happened to be extremely opposite from me. His family was very liberal, a different faith. I said to him when I was about eight years old, I said, I wonder what my dad's talking about, this booze thing. Swipe somebody in your dad's saloon and see what it is. Well, I don't have to steal. I'm allowed to go in there and get anything I want to anytime I want to. Well, bring something out, will you? So he brought a quart of white wine out of his dad's saloon. We took it back to the chicken coop and he took a mouthful of it he didn't like it, and I drank the rest of that quart. There was a drunk floating through the air like a butterfly. God, that was wonderful. <clears throat> I wish I could live like this forever. Just nothing, but the men folks got me out in the woods and dried me up so my mother and father didn't know it. But I made a discovery. I had a mind that would argue with itself, and it would win every time it wanted to. Now, every time you have a fight with your conscience and you lose, you actually win. See, I had been told by someone, probably my mother, my father, my uh, Sunday school teacher, Gage school teacher, or somebody, that in the Bible it tells you, touch not the wine when it is red. Well, he didn't bring red, red wine out of his dad's saloon. He brought white wine out of his dad's saloon. <laughs> so I had won my first argument. <clears throat> well, I'm on a long through life winning arguments in that very fashion. When I went to high school and we had chemistry and they'd give me a little alcohol to perform an experiment with it, I'd drink mine when I performed an experiment. After my school days, I went out into the world, and I wanted to travel, and I wanted somebody to pay the expenses, so I got a job as a salesman. And I traveled all over the country. Boss said, I was no salesman, nothing but a damn tourist going from place to place getting drunk, and he was paying expenses. But I was in what I have learned since, a blackout, because I uh, worked in the northern part of New York State for a whole week, and I didn't know it until I got paid. That's wonderful. God, I sold more merchandise, collected more money. It was wonderful. Just in a drunken state. I quit traveling, took a job in an office, and I was promoted very rapidly. I do have a little bit of ability, and a lot of alcoholics do. I've been going to school at nights, got in a few different things, did some law and some commerce and finance and a few of those things. Had a very fine salary, so I got married and bought a house and paid for it. I bought my wife a car, and I had a car. And we had all the material things in this world. 
I looked ahead at myself and said, pretty soon this won't last, so you ought to be able to retire. So I bought a great big piece of insurance so I could retire at the age of 45 on a couple hundred dollars a month. God, when I was 45, I couldn't buy a short beer. So <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things in this world. But in this way of life, uh, we did what they call social drinking. Not to me. There is no such thing. But we had some of it around the house. One night we had the county treasurer and his wife there to play a game of cards. Of course, the alcoholic always mixes the drinks because no one else knows the recipe, you know. First one is one ounce of whiskey, a little cracked ice, a little ginger ale, you take it in and serve it, you know. There he'll sit by that table and all his nerves go through an awful jolt because they'll sit there and they'll sip and they'll sip. Oh, God, when are you going to drink it out? Hurry up. Well, so long and you can't stand it anymore, you gulp it down regardless of what it is. You don't care. Then you go out and get another one. In the course of about an hour, you have two quarts in you. They've got one ounce of them. Now you show them exactly what an alcoholic is. An alcoholic is a drinker, a drinker with his feet firmly established in midair, and he does everything backwards. And that's just what I did. I threw him out, threw my wife out, and kept his wife. That's just the way it works. <clears throat> that's the way it works. Of course, I was bawled out by the boss, uh, the boss where I was working, you know. He uh, he didn't like it. I said, look at I'm doing a good job for you. Uh, yes, he said, you're doing fine. You're watching our money very close. We're not losing any. You're doing a fine job with the collections. The bank account's good. Three million dollars last month. Five million a month. Yeah. But at night, oh, he said, you get slippery tongue. You get out here and get a few drinks and you tell everybody all about our business and so on and so forth. You'll have to slow down or we'll have to let you go. Boy, look at the way I'm doing. You couldn't get anybody to do this good now. Well, you know, I'm gone and that's about it. My wife has had some psychology when she was a student of art in the University of Berlin. She looked at me in our house one time after I had done several things that wasn't just right. And this was in 1925. She said, you are an alcoholic. What in the world is that, lady? And where did you get it? Really, she said, I don't quite know, except I'm going to say that you are a diseased person. I have watched you. The other night when we had guests out here, she said, I took a drink. They took a drink. And that was all. You took a drink and you messed up everything. When we went on our vacation, she said, I took a drink. And that was all. You took a drink and I didn't see you for three weeks. You are a sick person. You are an alcoholic. I said, that's wonderful, lady. Now when I get drunk, you'll have to help me. She said, I guess that's it. 1925, that's 10 years before anybody ever heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had recognized to myself and to another person that I am an alcoholic. That's not what it says in AA at all. No. No, there are people in this room and they have admitted to their wives and to their husbands and to their children and to their sponsors and to their clergymen, their doctors and everyone else. Yes, I'm an alcoholic. And they're going to get drunk again and again and again. Until such a time as they become honest and sincere with themselves and admit they are powerless over alcohol. And when you're powerless over a thing, you're done with it. I will be tempted naturally, and I'm glad too. Yes, I'm glad I'll be tempted. I caused my family an awful lot of trouble. And when one of our steps says we have a bill to pay, I can't pay it. I can't pay it all back. You have thought that because you have dried up, you have got yourself a little bit of money, got your job, you're gone back with your family and your kids have shoes, you think you have paid the bill? Uh-uh. No, I have one bill I can never pay. Our little boy was only about six months old and he was laying in a crib and I went home drunk and I looked down on that little crib and I went boom. And those eyes sparkled up in such a hideous fashion. He was scared. 
And then the odor of me frightened him. I can never pay that bill back. That nervousness, condition of him. 34 years old now. Never says a word about it. You have harmed your children if you have been an alcoholic. And the only way I have found it's going to help me to pay this bill back is to be kind to other people. 1929, I went totally blind drinking wood alcohol. And I lost that job and I lost that home and I lost everything in this world except the desire to drink. And I went out into what they call the can gang. And during this days of experiences and existence, I have watched those things happen that have caused some people to stop drinking. I've heard it said quite often, I have to stop or I'll lose my home. No, you don't. You don't have to stop because of a home. I got along swell without a home. No taxes to pay, no doctor bills, no clothes to buy. I got along swell. I have to stop drinking or I'll lose my job. You don't have to stop because of a job. God, is getting better every day. Now you can get on the poverty program and drink the rest of your life. It's wonderful. <laughs> God, I wish they had this when I was drinking. And somebody says, I have to quit drinking or I'll get some doctors will frighten you to death. If you don't quit drinking, you'll get uh, cirrhosis of the liver, or heart trouble, lose your hearing. No, you don't have to stop because of that. You can go on. I went along drunk all the time, blind, couldn't see a blooming thing. You don't have to stop for any reason. No, you don't have to stop if you don't want to. And I didn't stop. I took up something different, something new. While I was in this state, I watched people die. 1934, there was 13 of us stole a five-gallon can of denatured alcohol from a gas station. We took under the bridge and we drank it. Next morning, there was 11 of them dead. You stumble over a lot of dead bodies. You thought, oh, my God, you ought to quit drinking. Not us. Oh, God, I was nervous. I had to have a drink. And he got me a drink, too, real quick. Fear didn't make me quit. Now, I went on getting worse and worse. Of course, we will come into that state of existence known as hate. When you start to hate things, they usually start with loved ones. Your mother probably bawled you out because you drank a little bit of beer and she could smell it. And she bawled you out and you started to hate her. After a while, you was married and your wife bawled you out. And you started to hate her. Maybe your children spoke to you about your drinking, and you started to hate them. After a while, the cop said, you better cut out your drinking, we'll have to throw you in. You started to hate him. Then he was in the hospital, and a nurse would come, and you start to hate. You fill your heart with hate. You just hate life. You hate everything except your own selfish self, because you know you can cover that all up with one little drink. I tried to get out of this. And I went back to a church. Maybe similar to this. Big congregation of 800 people and I knelt before an altar when the pastor gave the good Lord a lot of advice. He said, now dear Lord, please forgive this man who sins. Well, I want to be forgiven. There's a few little things I had done were just not right. I had uh, written bad checks and I had charged things to other people's grocery account. I stole money from people. All of those little things. But I wanted to be forgiven. Then he said, Dear Lord, please take this appetite away. Well, I went across the street to the beer garden and see if the good Lord took the appetite away. And he didn't. No, I got drunk. And the good Lord hasn't taken the appetite away from me yet. No. I haven't had a drink for quite a long time. Way back in 39. But I get the desire to take a drink. There are people who question this. And that's good for them to do. Analyze it. Study it out. See, I get the desire to take a drink. Get the desire to take a drink because of all the reasons that I did before. I'm very successful in business. What do I do? Well, I take a drink. Oh, it's raining so hard today and I've lost a big order. Well, I do. I take a drink. Nobody likes me. I went to one of those AA meetings and nobody speak to me. Well, I do. Well, the thing to do is go get drunk. Yeah. You get the desire to drink. 
The reason I know it's true is because I always take myself as an example. I used to have a nice little Chrysler Roadster. I could go skimming out through the country 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. Wonderful. Especially in the fall, you could see those beautiful trees, grand. Go out and play golf, you know, meet a friend of mine and maybe he'd take me over to his house. Go in the backyard and see those beautiful fall flowers. Take me in the house and see that cute little girl of his, three years old, curly-headed thing. I can't see the drive a car anymore. I can't see those beautiful trees, color. Go out and play golf, see the flowers, see the beautiful little girl. Am I going to sit around on a chair and weep and cry about it? Not me. No. I get the desire to take a drink, and I'm glad I do. Yeah, I'm glad I do. Because I was told in Alcoholics Anonymous what I had ought to do. I had been told this years ago as a Boy Scout. Their motto is, be prepared. Be prepared for these times when they'll come. And they will come. I don't know what would happen to me right now if I would lose a loved one. I don't know. There are some of you who have lost a loved one, who have suffered it out, and other people have given up. I don't know what would happen to me if I would lose my job and had no income. I just don't quite know. I don't know what would happen to me if I would have some terrible physical condition overcome me. Maybe suffer through cancer. I don't know. But I know I have learned by my own satisfaction that the thing for me to do is be prepared for that in case it does come. So I get tempted to take a drink. And the lesson that I was taught and the medicine that was prescribed for me in the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous has sufficed all these 20-some years. Every morning a prayer. A prayer not where you are going to bargain. We have done that. A prayer where we are not going to give God any more advice. We've done that. A prayer where you learn to openly pour yourself out in front of him. Pick up some little simple thought of your own. And there it is. This is hard work for some people who have been drinking for years and years and years. Laying around in a jail. Laying around in a hospital. Absent from anything that looked like Christianity. They've heard religion. Lots and lots of religion. We had it every Sunday in the churches, in our prisons. Salvation Army girls used to come in on Sunday and they'd sing all God beautiful songs and we'd say, Sister, that sounds swell. But when the hell are you going to get us a drink? That's what we want. We don't want religion. This is true Christianity, and it gets you acquainted with your understanding of a God, and you learn to pray yourself. Dr. Bob was very good to us. He gave us a very good one, simple one, one that we had ought to learn to use, all of us. God help me not to take a drink today. God help me to be sober today. One of those little simple thoughts. And know what you're saying. Feel it. And you won't in the beginning, but keep on trying and trying and trying. I have enlarged upon mine, and you are welcome to use it if it does of any help. God help me to help someone else today without anyone else knowing it. That's my morning prayer. Now, because you have done that, this is drinker and non-drinker alike. You will be given the opportunity during that day, just when you need it the most, to forget yourself by helping your fellow man. And nobody will know it. Now, it may be helping another drinker. It may be helping a lady across the street. It may be helping your wife do some work at home, your children do their lessons, get into Boy Scout work or whatever, but learn to forget yourself by helping your fellow men. And then the third dose of this medicine that we have been taught to take is the attendance to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and the attendance to them regular. 
And we go here not to find out whether or not Joe got a job, whether Bill's keeping sober or not, whether Mrs. Jones is finally going to get a divorce and run off with Mr. Williams or something. Did he get a new suit or a new car? How much dark has he got? No. Alcoholics Anonymous is the most powerful thing in this world as far as we're concerned. More powerful than anything. We've tried others. We've tried lodges, churches, doctors, hospitals, promises, pledges, psychiatry, Indian wigwams, everything. But here we get what we're after. And if you don't think this is the most powerful thing in your life when you're at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, regardless of who happens to be talking, sometime during that meeting, take a look at the person close by and see the happiness and the peace and the contentment on that face. That comes because in every Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, that spirit that we have all leaned upon so many years through our sober life is at work in every mind here. That is why you don't get anything from a speaker. You get it from the power that is in the room. And because of what you have got, when you go home, give thanks for it. Forget the speaker. He may be drunk tomorrow, but that spirit will never be drunk. That's why I'm glad I get the desire to take a drink. Because if I didn't get the desire to take a drink, I wouldn't have to pray anymore. I wouldn't have to forget myself and help my fellow man anymore. I wouldn't have to attend these meetings anymore. I met this way of life January 28th, 1939, at which time I was living in the basement of an apartment building over in the city of Youngstown. <clears throat> Prior to that, we had been drunk on his old age pension for about 11 solid months. <clears throat> I don't think I had a bite of food except liquid stuff, wine, canned heat, bay rum, shellac, and so on. He read a little piece in the paper which says, A way has been found to help people who have trouble with alcohol. I said, Read that to me again in the morning, will you? He read it to me, and I took my cane, and I started downtown, found out who wrote that article. I met a man who was extremely on the other side of the fence. He had never been in jail. He had only drank the best of drinks. He still had his family, his wife, his children. He had a very good business. He had the respect of most of the community. And there I was across the desk, the other extreme. I had no job, no money, no source of income, no family, no self-respect of myself or anyone else. I hated everybody and everything. No eyesight. But I had something that scared him. He said, uh, alcoholism is a disease. Uh, don't tell me that, mister. I've known that for years. How did you come to know it? I told him about the discovery my wife had made. I was an alcoholic. It was so hard to get people to accept their affliction. In the beginning of this program, our doctors didn't want to say they were alcoholics. No, they wanted something that they could treat with a drug. Our professional people didn't want to admit they were alcoholics. They said that was somebody who was living down here under a bridge, uh, living on canned heat. No, they didn't want to. It was hard for people to accept the term alcohol, alcoholism. I had, and I was glad I did. I used it. I used to go in a hospital in the morning and say, hey, I'm a sick guy. I'm an alcoholic. Won't you get me a drink? And they would. I'd go to jail and tell them, I'm an alcoholic. I need a drink. God, I'm going crazy. Won't you get me? And they would. I admitted I was an alcoholic, and he was right. <clears throat> but he gave to me four cardinal principles and 12 simple steps of a new way of life. Cardinal principles upon which this way of life is built came originally from the Oxford Movement, and that was because of Henrietta Cyberling, who had a little bit to do with it. 
See, Henrietta Sabling, Akron, Ohio, she had a problem. And it was not alcohol. But she had been helped by the Oxford Movement. <clears throat> Their program was built on public confession. It was set around a living room, and they would say, uh, well, I stole $10 from somebody last week. Uh, well, we'll forgive you, and don't do it again, and so on. So when she met Bill and Doc, and they tried to look at this as a way of life, these four cardinal principles came into being of unselfishness, honesty, purity, and love. Now, if you would look at yourself and look at the importance of those, anyone who would build their lives on those four cornerstones, they wouldn't have any trouble at all. Unselfishness. This does not mean materially. No, the alcoholic is the most liberal person in the world. He'll give away anybody else's money anytime he gets his hands on it. Wonderful. Sure. Don't you know that poor guy that went home drunk, you know, and it was payday? His wife says, where's your pay? Why, well, he should have bought something for the house. Huh? Sure. God, we've got to pay the rent. We need groceries. The kids need clothes. What'd you buy? Well, I bought the house a drink. <laughs> See, that, 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 that's how liberal the alcoholic is. That's not what it means. Now, this is not a, a program made up of words. This is deep. This is spiritual. You have to study it deep down within yourself. This means that I of myself am nothing. Learn to understand what that means to you as an individual. I of myself am nothing. The second one, which has something to do with honesty. Now, this does not mean the handling of money. That will take care of itself. I watched myself the other day. I made an awful lot of progress in my 25 years of sobriety, according to whatever it is. A girl made a mistake in the restaurant, and she gave me 50 cents too much change, and I gave her back a quarter of it. So I'm half honest, anyhow. <laughs> but that, that's really not what we mean. It means, inwardly, are you honest? Don't tell me. I don't know. I don't know if you're an alcoholic or not. No, inwardly, are you honest? Have you honestly admitted to yourself that you're powerless over alcohol? Have you prayed this morning? I don't know. And it don't bother me one way or the other, but you must learn to be inwardly honest. When somebody made a call and you had the opportunity to help, did you demonstrate inward honesty? Or did you happen to say, well, I can't go now. Uh, somebody's here visiting me from uh, Hoboken. Yes. You liar. Then we learn to be pure. Now, this does not mean sex. It means we learn to quit cutting the angles we used to cut. I'll get even with that guy. You want to see. You want. Look at that wife I got. I bought $100 home last payday and done. She didn't buy a blooming thing and she broke. I'll get even with her. You forgot all the times that you didn't bring anything home. Look at that guy down there at that shop. He don't even talk to me unless I vote the same way he does. I'll show him. I'll cut his throat. Huh? Look at that guy. We've got to learn to clean up our minds. We can't be cutting those angles. And then we have the great power of love. These are the people you learn to love. Not only for what they are, but for what you are when you're with them. How much different it is to be with we friends now. <clears throat> I happen to travel quite a bit. And I may be in Mansfield. I may be in Zanesville, Canton, Cleveland. See something, hello, and how are you, boy? We don't talk about problems. We don't talk about neighbors. We don't talk gossip or nothing. We want to know how we are, and we're sincere. We'll have a cup of coffee. And the problem may develop, and a solution will be found. But it used to be higher. That was the end of it. These are the people you learn to love. Not only for what they are making of themselves, but for what they are making of you. I can't do this without your help.
There was a beautiful lady I know in another town, not too far away from here. She came from a family that was materially pretty well fixed. She was well educated, went to Vassar, graduated, had what they call society. During her home life, they had a little alcohol around. Dad may have a drink now and then. Mother may have a drink now and then. Some society may have a drink now and then. After her college days and she came back home, she married a wonderful marriage, very successful man, wonderful home, society, golf course. Oh, he'd take a few drinks. She may take one. They had three lovely children come along. A little more drinking and a little more drinking and a little more drinking. After a while, she didn't have much interest in him, the children, the home. One day, she just walked right out. And they found her down along a railroad track. She had been gone for quite some time. The family didn't find her. The officers didn't find her. No. But a lady who had been through almost the same thing did. A lady in Alcoholics Anonymous. And she sat along a railroad track and talked to this lady who didn't smell very good. She didn't have a hairdo like she had in Vassar. She didn't have any of that imported perfume on her. She didn't have that wonderful gown that she got when she's in New York. She was in rags. And her hair was unkempt. She had only one shoe. And she was sick. And she was nervous. And this girl said, there is a way if you only want to accept it. There is a way, and I'll be glad to travel with you if you want to accept it. Three months later, that lady stood before a crowd similar to this and said, I am an alcoholic, and this is what AA has done for me because I have accepted it, and I am living it. Don't that do something to you. These are the people you learn to love. Not only for what they are, but for what you are when you're with them. When I started out in the world in this new way of life, I had no job to go to, no home to go to, no family, no eyesight, no money. And the first time I went to a meeting, which was held in the living room of a house, a man came to me and he said, I want to tell you something. Yep. He said, you half-blind old bastard. you got no more attention to keeping sober than the man on the moon. The only reason you're coming up here is get acquainted with these people so you could beg. Now the thing for you to do is stay the hell away. That was my introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous. That was good for me, too. I went back to that mattress and I said, I'll get drunk and I'll go up and kill him. Now I'll kill his wife first. No, I won't. I'll kill all those AAs. Here I am... <clears throat> I'm down to the bottom, and society don't want me. That's right. Society didn't want me. No, society didn't. But you see, when you start to care for the guy who don't care, you're on your way back up. You remember back when you was a kid, you'd sneak back to the barn and maybe smoke a corn silk cigarette Somebody, hey, don't do that. Your mother will catch you. She can smell it. Oh, boy, you got scared. Why? Because you cared. A little bit later, you'd smoke anything and you didn't care whether your mother found it out or not. A little bit later, you would take a drink. Maybe you're going with the nicest girl in the country. Somebody say, hey, I wouldn't do that. Oh, boy, your girl will smell it. She don't like people to drink. You'd chew some sin, sin, smoke a dago stogie, chew some black coffee, God, the stuff you had to use to get away from the drink was worse. It made the bottom of your stomach just like a birdcage. <clears throat> Pretty soon you'd say, I don't care. I don't care. After you're married, your wife will say, if you don't cut this out, I'll have to divorce you. Well, I, I will. I'll quit. You know, and you do. You quit for three, four, six months or a year. Start over again. And you say, I don't give a damn. I don't I get another woman easy. You don't care. Say, why with your job? The boss will buy you out, and pretty soon you say, I don't care. And then the cop will say, hey, I'll have to throw you in that can and throw away the key. You get scared. Oh, boy, you quit for a while. Then you say, I don't care. 
Same true with the medical profession. If you don't quit this, you're going to die of something. You get scared and you do stop. But pretty soon you say, I don't care. When you start to care for that guy who don't care, you'll be on your way back up. So as I lay there, listening to that guy condemn me, I said, I care. I care. He's not going to drive me to a drink. I am not going to take any help from him or from anyone else. If I starve, I might as well starve. And that's exactly the way I went through my AA experience. I was dry 14 months before I got the job I now hold. I was dry five years before I was reunited with my family. I have to be awful friendly with my uh, listeners before I tell them some of this because I have enjoyed going through my life feeling my way around. And if I tell people my vision's getting better, I'll have to stop. And I'm not quite old enough to stop yet. You know, it's good, all right. <laughs> but I do have now 5% sight after having been totally blind for 12 years. We got our boy on through college, and he's on his own, and like myself, we're really happy. But in this way of life, if a person accepts it and looks at it like it should be looked at for 24 hours, and that's all we're interested in, don't take a drink for 24 hours, develop your own AA program out of these 12 steps, we can give you an absolute foolproof guarantee that will work for you. And then as you go to these meetings, listen to people, study them out, accept what you want, let go what you don't want, but study the people. Some are true, some are false, but out of all of it, take some experiences. And in a very short period of time, you will have enough experiences in your mind as a bank to call upon when you need them. The children in Alcoholics Anonymous is where I get my most help. They have suffered so terribly. Some of the things that we have done to the children. I happened to be in another county in the northern part of the state talking to a man who was in the program about four months, sitting there at the kitchen table, and at the time I was there visiting with him, we were drinking coffee, and he was repairing his wife's iron cord. He had a pair of pliers, a screwdriver, and do a little bit of work. Had a little boy about three years, four years old there. Boys are interested in mechanics and so on. Out of the clear blue sky, he said, Daddy, you're awful good to Mommy since you quit drinking. I'll watch that the next time I go to take a drink. Daddy, you're awful good to Mommy since you quit drinking. This program works. This program has been proven. This program can be hurt by you, by me. It can be hurt. But to prove that it can work, it may be enough for you to look here, the people that you know, but I want to tell you about one that we do not know. We have never met. He's never been out. This man came from a large city. I have been invited since I've been in this program to go into many penal institutions. I've been in Sing City and San Quentin and Joliet and Mountville and Ohio Penn and what's around the country. They're all the same. Great big walls and locks and guards and guns and so-called criminal. This man was in there quite a long time. Early in life, as a mean little boy, he got in trouble quite frequently. When he was about 19 years of age, he committed a robbery with some other fellows, and he got sent up for life. Some years rolled by, and he thought he would like to have somebody kill him, but he didn't want to do it himself. So he picked a fight with one of the guards. Out of that fight, he killed the guards. Some seven years later, 
He was out on the play field again. Thought he would try it again, so he picked up a ball bat and had a fight with a playmate. Out of that come another murder. He has three life sentences to serve. Portion of his time in there was in solitary confinement for punishment. In this institution, they have an AA group, and you have to make requests to go. Today, I happened to be there. There's 164 boys come in, and they sat in a room similar to this. And the front row of chairs was vacant. The warden of this institution had said, I have tried religion. I have tried psychiatry. We have tried medicine. We have tried torture. But nothing seemed to change this man. I wonder if this AA program will have anything to do with him. So he tried. And he brought that fellow into this AA meeting, shackled both wrist and ankle, or guard on each side of him. And there they sat in the front row, about six feet away from me. And when you talk in an institution like that, you talk about 10 minutes or so about drinking, about 12 to 15 minutes about this new way of life. And they don't want religion. No, they don't want that. They want a new way of life as you're living in. The first part of this, he kept on swearing at me and spitting at me. And he said, if I could get a hold of you, I'd kill you, you dirty, rotten so-and-so. The last part of it, something came over that fellow. Of course, the first part, when he swore these guards would twist those shackles till the blood was running out of his wrist and his ankle. Something came over him, and when it was over, he stood up and walked out like a little lamb. And when I was back there one year later, he says, as chairman of the group, boys, I have no place in this world to go. I've got three life sentences to serve right here. But it may be that I can do something or say something that I have learned in the Alcoholics Anonymous program that you can take with you and use it so you won't live the life that I've lived. Alcoholics Anonymous. We have a basis in this way of life. People who pray together stay together. May I feel your prayers now that I'm going to leave. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.